The following is a paid program. The views expressed by the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily those of 77 WABC and Red Apple Media. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining me today. We're now 66 days into the Biden presidency. We're nine days away from the filing deadline to get on the ballot for New Jersey's June primary. The, the primary is 73 days away. We're 220 days away from the general election, the Kentucky Derby of New Jersey politics, the race for governor. Uh, joining me today are two major elected officials who are talking about some hugely important issues facing not just New Jersey, but the entire region. Congressman Josh Gottheimer, We'll be on at 420 to talk about a significant move in Washington that could help reduce your federal income tax obligation. He's working with the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, to repeal a 2017 law that no longer allows you to deduct your entire property tax bill from your federal income tax. This is a big deal, so please make sure you hear what he has to say. And at 4.35, I'll speak with Raj Mukherjee. He's the chairman of the Assembly Judiciary Committee, and he'll be holding hearings next month to investigate some stunning allegations that women in state prisons are being severely beaten and sexually assaulted. Several prison guards have already been arrested, and some people are calling for the head of the state correctional system. Uh, they want him either to resign or, or, or some legislators want to impeach him. So I'm going to ask Assemblyman Mukherjee some really tough questions that you're going to want to hear. Uh, this is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Something happened this week that was incredibly disturbing. It affects the media, and, and if you're like everybody else, you're not going to like it. And there's no joy for me in reporting this to you. Uh, so let me add this disclaimer up front. It'll involve some profanity and some truly offensive statements. The Asbury Park Press is one of 10 New Jersey daily newspapers that are owned by Gannett. That's the largest print media chain in the United States. And on Sunday, the Asbury Park Press ran a story about a very real issue. It's about convincing communities of color to get a vaccine. It's something that, that people are talking about a lot. And on their website, on the Asbury Park website, they ran a photo of a nurse preparing a, a vial of a vaccine. And, and you, you, this you're not going to believe. So just get ready because it's, it's hard to hear. But the caption under the photo said, an effing hot nurse, a total jab, loads a syringe. This is unbelievable. This referred to an Orthodox Jewish nurse in Lakewood, New Jersey. The caption was misogynistic. It was anti-Semitic. The New Jersey Globe broke this story on Sunday night after this caption had been up online for about 14 hours. I sent an email to the executive director, Paul D'Ambrosio. I called Herb Pinder. He's an ex- a, a Gannett executive. He had nothing to say. He didn't even know about it. And a few minutes later, this offensive caption, miraculously, it got changed. And then a little while after that, 
the photo got pulled down completely. But the newspaper didn't say anything publicly that night. They didn't acknowledge the mistake. They didn't do anything until people started criticizing them. And even in the media, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. On Monday morning, D'Ambrosio, the editor, posted an apology of, of sorts. It was a lame apology. It was double talk. It was it was the kind of apology that the media would never, ever accept from somebody else. And, and I have a lot of questions on this, and the Asbury Park Press isn't answering any of them because these people, you know, they, they know how to ask questions. They're just not so good on answering questions. But this one's important. I want to know that if they didn't get caught and if someone in their newsroom saw it before I did, would they have self-disclosed their mistake? This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And I am talking about a media scandal involving the Gannett-owned Asbury Park Press. And the issue involves misogynistic, racist captions and, and some profanities involved. So brace yourself. The, the Asbury Park Press photographer who wrote the caption of a nurse preparing uh, a vaccine said, an effing hot nurse, a total Jap. And this nurse is an Orthodox Jew. And the caption was referring to her as a Jewish American princess. So the guy Gannett put in charge to run this newspaper, he has barely barely acknowledge what happened. And that made some local leaders even angrier. Uh, State Senator Vin Gopal, who represents a big part of the Asbury Press part, Press's circulation area, he excoriated the newspaper. Uh, I'm going to read to you what he said. He said, the public needs to know why this language was written in the first place and how the paper's system allowed for it to be published. And he said, when incidents of this magnitude occur to other organizations, the Asbury Park Press calls for further explanation. And the statement the paper released is hypocritical to what they ask others in the same or similar situations. And Senator Gopal said the media needs to be held to the same standard for addressing mistakes, and it must provide information as to how it will prevent future mishandlings from happening. And this is another example of old media gone bad. It's one set of rules for them and another set for the people they cover. And they wonder why people don't view newspapers as reputable as they used to. And, and others, like Congressman Chris Smith and Senator Bob Singer and Assemblywoman Joanne Downey, they were vocal in their criticism. Uh, I want to play a clip. I want you to listen to what... Governor Murphy had to say about this. I, I, I literally was told about this caption. Um, I frankly didn't believe it. Uh, I then read it with my own eyes, and it is unfathomable that someone could have written that, even privately, never mind that it was published. So, I mean, someone has to pay. I would think with all due respect, someone has to pay a price for that. That's, that's completely... Uh, incredibly offensive. Even the apology missed the point, as, as, uh, as I understood the apology. Um, so I don't have any comment further on it, but completely, utterly unacceptable, really offensive. Offensive, by the way, at many levels. 
Um, and uh, I just can't believe that in this day and age <laughs> that would get not just written in someone's like diary, but it would be published online. So. So let's talk about some of the mistakes the Asbury Park Press made. Uh, the top one, they never reported on what happened. The editor wrote a note. He gave only their side of the story, the criticism of Gannett by the governor of New Jersey that you just heard from a congressman, from two state senators. They didn't cover it. And the Asbury Park Press, in my opinion, has tried to hide this from its readers. And Gannett's other nine newspapers in New Jersey, uh, or nationally, they did nothing. They said nothing. And the Star-Ledger, they didn't cover it either. These these wagon circlers in the media uh, who who always speak up and, and, and point out other people's flaws, but they didn't do anything. So so kudos to those who did. You know, the New York Post, the, the Daily News, News 12, NJ105, Pointer, for writing about it. Now, Gannett fired the journalist who wrote the offensive caption. They didn't disclose his name. I've learned it's Gustavo Martinez Contreras. Uh, for sure, if it was somebody else outside of their organization, they'd have disclosed the name in a second. I mean, do they do they really think that if they don't cover it, nobody's going to know about it? I mean, that's just incredibly arrogant. And so now, get this, this ought to really startle you. On Thursday... The Monmouth County Board of Commissioners, they voted to denounce the newspaper. And they voted to pull their advertising business away from the Asbury Park Press. They're going to give it to the Star-Ledger. And just just quickly, New Jersey law requires taxpayers to pay for the publishing of legal notices in print newspapers. You've probably seen this, the, the tiny type that nobody pays attention to, but it is a cash cow for newspapers and the kind of government subsidy that that keeps them afloat these days. So this is a big, big, big deal for newspapers that are struggling financially. Uh, They've cut more than two-thirds of their reporting staff over the last decade or so, and and their print circulation is down about 70%. So you would think that this was news, that the Asbury Park Press would, at the very least, feel honor-bound, feel that their journalistic ethics would require them to cover a major government body voting to denounce them for cause. But they didn't. They ignored it. It's, it's, it's again, it's this one set of rules business. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And I'm, I'm talking about a media scandal involving the Gannett-owned Asbury Park Press. Now, the, the photographer was fired, but here's what I think the Asbury Park Press should have done. And, and I say this as a person who, who has hardly lived a perfect life. People make mistakes, but... Gannett should have owned this. They should have come out immediately and apologized. They should have been forthcoming to their readers with the details. They, they needed to ensure the people who buy their newspaper that there's not a pattern of systemic misogynism and anti-Semitism in the newsroom. Uh, they needed to immediately contact the nurse who was a on the front lines administering vaccines and apologize to her for objectifying her. And they needed to come clean with their readers and not hide under the table and hope that nobody noticed uh, what they were doing. 
And so actions have consequences. And now there's this organically growing move to reignite what was five years ago nearly successful bill in the legislature to stop legal advertising altogether. That would, that would save the governments at the local, the county, the state level millions and millions of dollars. Chris Bolwich, who is the mayor of Elizabeth, said on Thursday that these legal ads, he said they're outdated anyway, said that websites reach more than newspapers. They reach more people than newspapers. And and one last thing, it is it is so incredibly disappointing that the the usual crew of wagon circlers in the media, the ones the ones who are vocal on Twitter about offenses committed by others, they they didn't say a word and, and I don't I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what's going on other than they're frightened about the future of their industry, but but you know, hey people, we're in the news business and, and that is reporting news, good or bad. That's the responsibility that we all have. Uh, next up is Congressman Josh Gottheimer. He's going to talk about a move in Washington that could restore the property tax deductions from your federal income taxes that were taken away in twenty seventeen and and about a threat of white supremacist hate groups. Uh, operating out of northern New Jersey. And at 535, I'll speak with Assembly Judiciary Committee Chairman Raj Mukherjee about an upcoming hearing on a big scandal in New Jersey, beatings and sexual assaults at a state women's prison. You will not want to miss either of those segments. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Uh, Welcome back. It's David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Josh Gottheimer is serving his third term as a congressman from New Jersey. He represents parts of Bergen, Passaic, Sussex, and Warren counties. Congressman, thanks for joining me. 
It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. It's, since your first year in Congress, 2017, you've been talking about state and local tax deductions, known as SALT. Uh, now, I know there was a major breakthrough this week, but and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But first, explain what happened uh, in 2017 that made the SALT deduction a big issue. Well, if everyone probably remembers back in those tax reform legislation passed in 2017, I affectionately called it a tax hike bill. And every one of us in Jersey, but for one, Democrats and Republicans, were opposed to it for one simple reason above all. Uh, it gutted the state local tax deduction you referred to, or SALT, meaning that when you pay your taxes to the state or your local taxes, your property taxes, it used to be forever that you would then deduct uh, that number before paying your federal taxes. In essence, so you didn't pay twice on the same income. Um, when the tax hike bill passed, they were looking for extra revenue to, to give other tax cuts, uh, particularly to the red states that were good for them. So what they turned around and did is took away SALT or capped it out at $10,000, which, which, which gave them hundreds of billions of dollars to work with and us a tax increase here in northern New Jersey. So in, in Bergen County, I've heard you say the average taxpayer claimed, I think it was just under $25,000 as a SALT deduction. So so we're talking about some real money here, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, this is, if you live in a SALT state, in a, a tend to be bluer states like Jersey, like New York, Connecticut, this area yeah, where we know that taxes are, in my opinion, too high, but in the meantime, that's what they are. Um, Really, this was a massive tax increase for a majority of the people who live in my district. And I'm not just talking about people who are all super well-to-do. We're talking about teachers and firefighters and, and cops and small business owners, and right? Because in Bergen County, the average taxpayer claimed $24,783 before the cap went into place. So suddenly, you used, to be able, you used to be able to deduct all of that before paying your federal taxes. Then they turn around and said, you could deduct only $10,000 worth. Every single county that I represent, uh, Sussex, Warren, Passaic, and Bergen, all are above $10,000. It was a tax increase for all of them. We all got it stuck to us, right? I mean, it was really, we really got whacked on this one. And so what we're doing now is fighting to reinstate it, to prevent double taxation, to actually give a real tax cut to the people who live here. And that's what I'm particularly fighting for right now in any in any legislation that we're considering going forward. And it's what I asked the uh, Treasury Secretary about this week when she was before the Financial Services Committee. Okay, I'm speaking with Congressman Josh Gottheimer. I want to ask you about about uh, what Secretary Yellen said. You have a seat on the House Financial Services Committee, so so you made you made the SALT deduction uh, one of your, your, your key areas of questioning. What did Secretary Yellen say to you? Well, what I wanted to know, which I, I think a lot of people around here want to, I'll tell you, I hear this from folks all the time, you know, will this administration support eliminating that $10,000 cap and going back to where we were before, to fully reinstating that deduction to, to end this misguided policy of double taxation? And what the secretary said was, and, and something that I was, I was very pleased to hear, and I think a lot of people were, is that she recognizes that there's disparate treatment, uh, basically between the red and the blue states, right, that we got hit and they got a great benefit. So once she recognized that and she invited, said, this is something that we should work on together. And, uh, and she said that she looked forward to working with me to to find ways to reinstate soft and and, um, and 
this is clearly bipartisan, and she recognized that as well, right? This is not an issue that cuts along partisan lines. It's really an issue that cuts on regional lines. And those of us who live in Jersey, who frankly pay the bills for so many other states, I call them moocher states, but pay the bill for all these other states, the fact that we also now had higher taxes starting in 2017 uh, is something that we want to fight back against. So let's talk about moocher states. Anybody who knows Josh Gottheimer knows that, that you can't talk to you for more than five minutes without you, you <laughs> saying moocher states. So explain, to, explain what that means. What is a moocher state? So we, we, for years, New Jersey, because we've paid more into the federal government when it comes to taxes than other states, right? It's, it's gone on. If you, you go back into the annals, that's the way it is. There are certain states that pay far more than other states. It's, it's because they're more well-to-do, have, have, have paid more into, uh, into Washington than they've gotten back, right? We've historically gotten back to Jersey and to my district far less than we put in. When, in fact, when I came into office, one of the first calculations I looked at was that we got back 33 cents for every dollar we sent to Washington. You look at other states like uh, Mississippi and Alabama – they put in. They get four dollars and thirty-eight cents back for every dollar they send to Washington, and 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 four dollars and thirty-two cents respectively. You look at Louisiana; they start their state budget every year with about half of the money in their state budget coming from the federal government sent in to their state. The bottom line is they're moochers because they get far back more and they pay in. Right? We're just the opposite. What I've argued for for years now is we need in New Jersey to fight for more dollars to come back here to kind of even it out a little bit, because to me, it's absurd how little we get back. And we've been very successful. It's about working with our mayors and our first responders, our fire departments, cops to to fight and fight for these grants that are available and try to get them back to New Jersey. We're up 108 percent increase in in return on investment to uh, to my district since uh, I was elected, and, and that's about making sure we fight to get more dollars back here from the Moocher states. You must be Mitch McConnell's favorite congressman, then. <laughs> <laughs> but Kentucky is a major Moocher state. Yeah, I've, I've heard you say that. I've heard you say that. And I, I'm speaking with Congressman Josh Gottheimer. So the, the other the other part of Moocher states is is what you call the clawbacks. What are what are clawbacks, and what are you doing in your district in in, in New Jersey to 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 make that happen? That's about making sure that when we write legislation, we fight to, to ensure that these dollars get clawed back here. And there's, there's provisions that are good for our state. For instance, in the, the COVID-19 package we just passed, something that I worked quite a bit with some senators on was um, getting resources for broadband. I, uh, about 30% of my district is more rural. And there's huge swaths that have, no broadband connectivity at all, or basically dial-up levels of connectivity. You can imagine during COVID how difficult that's been for students, for small businesses, for, for telehealth, for all the issues that we all you know, depend upon broadband for. So we were able to get resources uh, dedicated to wiring rural areas uh, to make sure they have connectivity, just like we did when we put the phone system together, right, in our country, and they and said that was critically important for our economy, for our national security, that everybody had a phone, and it's, it's part of what, it's, it's public policy. I think the same should be for broadband, and that's one area that we fought for. We also, 
got a lot of resources to each and every one of our towns and counties in the district to help with COVID lost revenues and expenditures that will help with infrastructure and with, of course, most importantly, getting the vaccine out. And I'm speaking with Congressman Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey. America is still shaken by the the riots at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And I think at least one of the people charged is from your district. I'm not sure if this is related, but you've been sounding alarms for a while about a group called the Oath Keepers. What are the Oath Keepers and, and should New Jerseyans be frightened of this group? Well, the New Jersey Department of Homeland Security uh, last year designated several domestic violent extremist groups as threats to our state, to our homeland. Right? We're very familiar post 9-11 with ISIS-inspired terrorists and lone wolf terrorists, other homegrown threats to uh, our state have always been the top threats to the state of New Jersey and something that I've focused on. Um, and the, the, in the last years, we've seen in New Jersey but throughout the country a, a, a sharply increasing threat from domestic terror groups like something called the, a group called the Oath Keepers, uh, Proud Boys, Three Percenters, uh, that, that threaten our, our law enforcement. They threaten our communities. Uh, with uh, and they they have been designated as domestic terror threats. The uh, head of the FBI last week uh, testified, or it could have been a week before, testified that what he sees as the largest threat are these domestic violent extremists that are racially and ethnically motivated attacks, threatening racially and ethnically motivated attacks, um, particularly a uh, huge rise of white supremacist threats to the country. We obviously saw that on January 6th. But it's also, unfortunately, here in New Jersey. And I've been pushing very hard, A, to designate these groups as terror groups. Uh, the Proud Boys, I pushed for them to be designated as uh, a terrorist group as well because they are um, they operate internationally, so there's special designations that they can have as being international foreign terrorist organizations, um, which prevent – which. Uh, prevent uh, certain associations and from people from doing business with them. To me, this is a significant threat that we must be vigilant on, whether it's it's anti-Semitism, whether it's Islamophobia, whether it's uh, anti-Catholic or anti-Muslim, you name it. We must be vigilant and stand up strong against all forms of hate. Uh, And and that that has been a, a big focus of mine for years because it's not who we are as a country. These aren't the values we share. And they also prevent threats from a security perspective to our law enforcement, to our communities, uh, and to our families. All right. Well, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, Democrat of New Jersey, thank you for speaking to me. It's almost a pleasure. And have a happy Passover and stay safe. Happy Passover. Uh, stay safe and healthy, everyone. We're going to get through this. We're, we're almost there. Almost. We're almost. There. We're almost. Gonna, we're gonna do it. Thank okay. you, Congressman. Thank, so much. thank you. And, and I'll be okay. back. I'll be back to talk to the chairman of the Assembly Judiciary Committee, Raj Mukherjee, about his investigation into beatings and sexual assaults at New Jersey's only woman's prison. So please don't go away. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how 
at autismspeaks.org slash together. school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Raj Mukherjee is the chairman of the New Jersey State Assembly Judiciary Committee. He's he's serving his fourth term in the legislature. He's a Marine Corps veteran, an attorney, a former deputy mayor of Jersey City. Assemblyman, welcome. Thank you, David. And, and let me, thank you very much. Thank you. And, and, and let me get this out of the way before we start. I have known you since you were 15 years old, I mean, 21 years ago. And and at the point that I met you when you were you were 15, you were already a successful businessman. I mean, you owned a, a software development company. You were in college by 16. You enlisted in the Marines at 17 Two weeks after nine eleven, and 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 I'll say this: I don't I don't care if I embarrass you. You are ridiculously <laughs> you're ridiculously smart. I mean, you are just a ridiculously smart guy, and 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 that 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 intelligence now combined with your life experience, you know, has taken you to the New Jersey legislature at a young age. So you know. I, I couldn't have imagined. Um that I'd be a legislator all those years ago when we met. But like you, when you were um, that age, I was a political junkie. Um, and uh, we've certainly known each other a long time. So it's great that you and uh, Mayor Fulop made up. And, uh, <laughs> I can, I can, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of uh, getting to come on the show. But uh, it certainly has been a long time, and it's been, it's been fun. It, it has been. It has been. Uh, let me get right into it. I want to talk to you about what's going on at the Edna Mann Correctional Facility. This is the state's only women's prison. There, there's been serious allegations that inmates are being beaten and sexually assaulted. Some, some prison guards have already faced criminal charges or are facing criminal charges. You're going to chair a legislative probe that starts next month. What will you be looking for? Uh, so he, you took it right there, uh, a morbid turn indeed. Um, and, and here's the issue. So Eighth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States um, protects prisoners. Um, it offers them due process. It prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. Um, and even convicted criminals, even felons, um, uh, have due process and have rights. And a federal report... Um, from the the Civil Rights Division in the United States Justice Department, Maine Justice, and the U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey found 
a year ago, actually, uh, the anniversary of being a few days. It was April 2020, and um, and it found reasonable cause to believe that the conditions at Edna Man violated the Eighth Amendment. And more to the point, and and and, and there's some pretty graphic um, uh, descriptions of the type of abuse, sexual abuse and other abuse that was going on, has been going on, it continues to go on to this day at Edna Mann, it's uh, it's suggesting that there's a systemic uh, pattern of constitutional violations of abuse, of violations of New Jersey law, the Dignity Act, and other existing state and federal laws, like a federal law uh, seeking to eliminate prison rape. So what we're going to be looking at is, since the time this report uh, the, uh, was issued, um, why don't we have federal monitors in place? Um, what is leading to this culture um, of impunity? Um, how do we ensure that prisoners um, at Edna Man and all of our state prisons get the compassion and the basic dignity um, they deserve. We heard, we've read about events on January 11th um, that I'm sure you read about, and uh, it's an unabated pattern. And how do we eliminate it? What is the state uh, Department of Corrections been doing about it? And what more needs to be done? And is this something that can be legislated away? And if so, what sort of reforms do we need to enact as a legislative body so that we're not just sitting idly and watching from a dais you know, because sometimes I think we 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 think of what's going on in prisons based on what we see on TV, based on what we see in movies, um, and we we're kind of in a bubble um, while that's going on. We'd rather not have to roll up our sleeves and actually deal with these problems, with these systemic issues. But we we bear a responsibility. And I'm speaking with Assemblyman Raj Mukherjee, the chairman of the New Jersey Assembly Judiciary Committee. Uh, the commissioner of corrections, Marcus Hicks, has agreed to testify at, at the hearing you're leading. Was, was he subpoenaed or is he coming voluntarily? He's coming voluntarily. Uh, we negotiated um, his appearance, and I think it's critical um, that he offer um, uh you know, responses in terms of what the department's been doing. He's got insights that no prison reform advocates or inmates or their families or former inmates can uh, can offer us. And we need to I think it's important that we hear from him. And what does it mean when you say negotiated? What is what does that entail? Well, well, here's the, I mean, here's the situation. So we have a, a, an ongoing uh, to my knowledge, it's ongoing, a criminal investigation, uh, eight um, the, the, uh, charges against eight um, correctional employees have been announced by the attorney general since um, the events of January 11th related to the um, violence against inmates and the abuses that reportedly occurred on that day. So you don't want and I'm sure the he probably got legal advice not to appear um, to jeopardize those investigations. Um, he might have insight into confidential aspects of that stuff. He might have been briefed on it. Um, I'm sure I don't he wasn't there as far as I know uh, uh, that day or that night. But um, uh, when we call him and ask him questions, we're going to probably 
need to stay away from things related to that pending criminal investigation so we don't give fodder to some defense attorney to use on cross um, or or offer up confidential information that the public uh, and even us as lawmakers wouldn't wouldn't uh, otherwise have access to. But the, the, we're not as the Judiciary Committee, as legislators, we're not a we're not an, a, a criminal investigative body. Um, that's something that prosecutors are doing and doing um, well. So uh, what we're trying to get at are the systemic issues, the things in the federal report um, and what sort of reforms have been undertaken and uh, have not been undertaken. What's the ombudsperson been doing? Why aren't the things that we legislated already in the, uh, um, in the, the dignity, um, the dignity, like the dignity for incarcerated primary caretaker parents, right, which, have, which you helped, which, right? Well, um, not exactly. So yeah. I, I, I voted for it, um, okay. but Senator Greenstein and Assemblywoman Lopez, Lopez yes. Senator Ruiz, uh, uh, Senator Cruz Perez, they they authored this. This was um, this is going back a couple years uh, as a result of the 2018 hearings and the reporting and the federal investigation in the aftermath of civil rights investigation. They 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 really put together a very thoughtful, robust piece of prison reform legislation that gives us one of the ACLU has called it one of the most robust infrastructures in the country for this kind of thing. So is it, has it been implemented? What has it actually been uh, acted upon by the department? These are questions we will be asking at the hearing. So, and first of all, I, I assume this is not just a couple hours of a hearing and then you're over. I assume this is going to be a, a long-term project for you. So uh, it's it's not going to be a short hearing. Um, there's going to be um, a fair amount of investigative work. Um, that's all. First of all, we've already been doing a lot of that. The committee staff and uh, the assembly um, majority office and uh, uh, subject matter experts and advocates have been working with us um, and my office, um, and we've done a lot of work. Uh, to prepare for the hearing already. And then after the hearing, um, the, uh, the chairs uh, 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 and the vice chairs and, uh, of both the Judiciary Committee and the Women and Children's Committee, um, which will be joining us in conducting this inquiry, we're going um, to go, go there. We're going we're gonna to take a tour. We're going to be accompanied by DOC officials. Uh, we're going to go to the scene of the action. They're things that we read about in the federal report that occurred um, and in other documents we've gotten access to. And we're going to see where it happened and where the cameras are, where the cameras aren't, um, and, uh, and and what's going on at the facility today. Uh, a year after um, the federal, the damning federal report came out. And then what we're going to do is we're going to consider legislation in a follow-up um committee hearing uh, to, uh, that's responsive um, to this. And yes, it will not end there. Just like um, with Senator Greenstein's work, uh, starting with 2018 and continuing until present, um, we're going to uh, continue to examine what the department is doing to be responsive so that we can stop being reactive 
to when the press gets wind of things going on. The whole all this stuff about January 11th came to pass because inmates contacted reporters. Right. And last right. year when they were getting released, uh, David, from the, the COVID-19 public health emergency credits or receiving a medical parole, they were actually told as part of the conditions of release, they couldn't talk to a reporter. And it wasn't until the ACLU and others contacted um, the AG that that was, you know, that we we uh, uh, did away with that because that's that's insane. But the um, but uh, so I, I think the point is we have to stop being reactive. And 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 this isn't grandstanding. This isn't because this is um, uh, timely because of the press coverage of those events. This has been cultural, um, and it's going to need decisive action. Um, and maybe that is happening, but we need to hear we need to hear that from DOC. So to your to your question, uh, it will not end with the hearing. Uh, we will continue to. Uh, have uh, keep a watchful eye over what's going on at what is presently called Edna Man. So this is uh, this is why we have checks and balances in our system. So so you know this is uh, this is important work you're doing, Assemblyman, and and uh, uh, we'll be watching. And hopefully uh, hopefully once the committee resolves its actions, you'll come back on and we'll talk more about it. Sure. Yeah. It's, and it'll be probably be the right time. We don't want to get ahead of what we're sure. going to do until we actually hear from everyone at the hearing and conduct the inquiry. Um, but these are the types of questions we'll be asking for sure. Great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It is, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. And I've been speaking with Assemblyman Raj Mukherjee, the chairman of the New Jersey State Assembly Judiciary Committee. And I'll be right back talking about uh, some great primaries in Bergen County, not just this year, but in past years. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. The best primary of the year by far is in Bergen County, where two incumbent state assembly members are are facing off for the Democratic nomination for state Senate. Uh, Gordon Johnson and Valerie Veneri-Huddle. Both want to succeed Loretta Weinberg. She's retiring. Uh, she's the majority leader and retiring after a, a long, long career in the legislature. This primary is is going to be one to watch. So 
in advance of that race, I want to take you back in time to the 1930s to tell you a, a, a Bergen County story. Uh, so it's 1932, and Franklin Roosevelt is running against Herbert Hoover, and congressional redistricting gave Bergen County a second house seat. Republicans were fighting. I mean, actually, we're, we're almost 90 years later, and they're still fighting in Bergen County. And the, the party at the time was split into two factions. They're, they're still split in factions. And when I say fighting, what I should really say is that in the 1930s, they were, they were at war. They hated each other. And one faction was head by the Republican county chairman. His name was Douglas Thompson. The other by Senator Ralph Chandless. And Chandless was an interesting guy. He had been expelled from the New Jersey State Senate for taking a gratuity. Prosecutors at the time said it was a bonus for getting the state of New Jersey. Remember, he's a state senator, and he gets the state of New Jersey to deposit $200,000, an enormous amount of money in 1932 during the Great Depression, uh, to put $200,000 into the Little Ferry National Bank. And that allowed the bank to buy some very lucrative sewer construction bonds, uh, which makes this story very Jersey. So, in this race for Congress, three Republicans run in the primary, and 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 they go at it. And by the time the general election comes around, uh, these wounds weren't healed. Uh, so between the Republican infighting and some FDR coattails, uh, a district that was drawn to elect a Republican congressman, it never imagined that this would elect anything other than a Republican, it went Democratic. And... The winner was a man named Edward Aloysius Kenny. He was a lawyer who had already lost three races for mayor in his hometown, one as a independent, the second as a Republican, and the third as a Democrat. And as Bergen County Republicans continued to feud through the Great Depression of the 1930s, uh, and with the legendary Jersey City Frank, Mayor Frank Haig. It was Frank, I am the boss Haig, taking the Democratic congressman under his wing. Kenny was able to get reelected. He was able to get reelected twice. And so this takes us to January of 1938. And Kenny was asked to deliver the keynote speech at the annual New Jersey Chamber of Commerce dinner in Washington. And what happened at that dinner, according to the old, you know, the legends and the lore of Bergen County politics, is that Congressman Kenny had a lot of fun at the dinner. And after the dinner, he wasn't able to travel back to his apartment in Washington. So the Chamber of Commerce agreed for the congressman to get some sleep in a hotel room that one of their members took. Uh it looks like Kenny woke up during the night, uh, presumably a little disoriented from the uh, from the evening he had had, and he went in search of the facilities, and he tragically mistook a French window that was about a foot and a half from the floor, and he fell six stories to his death, and. 
Republicans took back the congressional seat that year because you've, you've got to love New Jersey politics. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This week, the New Jersey legislature approved a bill that will allow early voting, in-person early voting. And if Governor Murphy signs the bill, he's been one of the early voting's biggest cheerleaders, uh, so I think he'll sign it. It means that New Jerseyans can vote in person nine days before the general election, uh, including nights and weekends. And now this part won't be easy. Uh, it never is. Uh, election officials are telling me that there's no way early voting will be ready for the primary this June. They're not even sure if it'll be ready for the November general election to, to have early voting election day workers need electronic poll books. They're, they're like little tablets that allow officials to make sure somebody hasn't already voted. Uh, the governor's budget proposes $20 million for the poll books. Election officials tell me that it's going to cost closer to $80 million. Uh, they need to buy some new voting machines that can interface with the poll books. It's, it's very complicated and, and, and it's, it's very rushed and we still don't know who's paying for it. Uh, so we're going to have to see what happens here. We're going to have to see how this works out and whether they're going to get this done for the November 2021 general election. Uh, this brings us to a close of our show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll be back next week. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Thank you, Kevin Sanders. And you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. <laughs> Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait.